uh, Exodus 34. Let's read that together. And we're just going to process God's last sort of character nature definition. So starting in verse 5, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, again being Moses, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh the Lord. Again, so just super quickly, Yahweh is the personal name for God. Yahweh literally means I am who I am or I will be who I am. I'm unchanging. I'm entirely consistent. What I'm about to describe to you, Moses, is the way that I always am. God is here giving um, sort of reference to his nature and his character, not just uh, what God does, but this is who God is, and he's always this way. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. Again, just we got to get this into ourselves as deeply as possible. Compassion is a feeling word, and it literally means mother's womb. God is saying he feels about us all the time. He feels about us the way a mother does of her baby in the womb. It's a love that's a protecting love. It's a love that covers as we even saw in the first chapter of Matthew as we were walking through that. Um, God is uh, a God consistently all the time of compassion and mercy. Um, in your translation, it may, it may uh, say gracious there. And that's an action word. So not only does God feel about us the way he does with his compassion and mercy, uh, like a mother with a child in her womb, but he acts in our life in a way that is consistent with that. So it's out of that that he acts. And contrary to our culture's sort of belief that God is this sort of dictatorial, angry tyrant deity who loves to inflict punishment and pain on people, who, 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 who gets thrills from watching um, people struggle and whatever. That's not at all what God is like. It's out of his compassion that he acts in our life in ways we don't deserve with power we don't have. And then God continues and says, I'm slow to anger. All right, again, remember, we studied the Hebrew words here are erek, apayim. Erek being long and apayim being nostrils. God is literally saying, I'm long of the nostrils. My, my default character is to be long um, and patient. Uh, God does not, by his nature, he does, he's not prone to outbursts of anger. God's anger isn't provoked on a whim because of something that some, somebody does or says or uh, something that's happening. His, his anger is not actually in response to the things that are happening around him all the time. God's anger is uh, entirely just. His anger is measured and appropriate. His anger is actually uh, the mechanism of his justice, and his anger is not opposed to his love. Anger is not the opposite of love. Indifference is. It's precisely because God has such great compassion and love for us and graciousness that he would even get angry. So the good news is that God is slow to anger. The bad news is that God is slow to anger. He does get angry, but we have to really 
really work at it. And then he continues on and says that he's filled with unfailing love and uh, faithfulness. Again, those Hebrew words are chesed for love, a word that we don't really have one single English word that adequately defines it, which is why uh, even the scripture writers are sandwiching another noun to that, like steadfast love or faithful love or covenant love or covenant loyalty. God is saying he's um, filled with, meaning he's overflowing, not even just like up to the top, but gushing out of his being and his nature is that chesed love and faithfulness being amet. That's where we get the word amen from. And that is really just trustworthiness or truth. And so these two words need to be used together. God uses them together to define each other. So my love is my faithfulness and my faithfulness is my love. And this is the way that I always act, that I always am this way. Again, we are fickle. Our moods swing radically sometimes. In different environments and in different situations, we turn into different people under pressure and stress. Some of us turn into different people. When, when we're confronted with pressure, some people get super anxious and they withdraw. Some people get really aggressive and they lean in and God is saying, look, I don't, I'm not like that. I'm entirely consistent. So my anger isn't like your anger. My love isn't like your love, like hot and cold, hot and cold, dependent on what's happening around me. Uh, God is literally saying, I don't respond uh, to the world around me, to circumstances the way that you do. It doesn't impact his nature and his character, his demeanor, his, his being the way that it does with us. And God in saying that he's filled with unfailing love and faithfulness is literally saying to the bitter, bitter end, I will always be faithful to you. I always will be faithful to you. And Pastor Brenda, we heard last week, finished off this section uh, where uh, God is saying, I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Again, what God is not talking about, and, and Pastor Brenda mentioned this, is God uh, is punishing people. Um, and God isn't punishing you for the sins of your parents or your grandparents. God is not going to punish your kids for your sins. What will happen, though, is our kids will actually have to live through the consequences of our actions and our choices and our sin even sometimes. Our kids um, will actually, you know, have to live through that and work around that and overcome that. And, and we see uh, this principle being um, kind of worked out by God. He's not punishing. He's not saying, hey, because your dad did that, I'm going to do this to you. And that's the way we would act. But God doesn't act that way. And uh, you can listen to that whole treatment of that from Pastor Brenda last week. We're going to continue on. 
Verse 8, Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. What is the adequate response to God revealing himself to us, to God kind of pulling the curtain back and saying, this is who I am? In Scripture, it is always, it is always worship. And not just sort of like the come to church and sing a few songs worship. It is the fall on the ground, fall on your face, throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and worship him because he is so good, because he is so faithful, because he will never leave you or forsake you, because he's not out to punish you, because he's compassionate and gracious, because he's slow to anger, because he's entirely all of these things, our response must be to literally throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus, at, at God's feet like Moses does, and say, you are worthy of my whole life. And that's what we're going to kind of talk about today as we continue reading on. Today we're talking about carrying this name, what it means to carry the name. So God is describing here to Moses the self-revealing of his name, what his name means. This is all-encompassing sort of, this is what Yahweh means. When God says, My, I am Yahweh, the Lord, this is what he means. This is who I am. And we're talking about what it means now for us to move on from here and carry this name. So Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped. And he said, O Lord, if it is true that I found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. The Lord replied, listen, I'm making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I will perform miracles that have, been, uh, that have never been performed anywhere on all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. I'm going to lead your life. My desire, and we see this in Scripture, in Psalms, I think it's 83, says God's desire is to lead our lives. It's to go out ahead of us, bring glory to himself, demonstrate his power, and partner with us in life. That's the desire of God. And he's saying, look, Moses, this is what I want to do for you. I'm not, I don't want to just tell you what I'm like. I want you to see it and experience it in your life. I want to move ahead of you on your behalf and in and through your life, but I'm calling you to something. And this is what he's calling us to today. Listen to this. Verse 11, listen carefully to everything I command you today. Listen carefully to everything I command you today. Then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. This is God's calling now to Moses. Moses, I've told you I want to go ahead of you. I, I've told you I want to lead your life. I've told you 
and express to you who I am and what I'm like. You can trust me with your life. You can trust that my thoughts toward you are good. You can trust that everything in me wants to bless you and love you and lead you and guide you and protect you and sustain you and heal you and renew you and restore you and all of these things. This is my nature. But what I'm calling you to, Moses is to carry my name, be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles. The Asherah poles were, were, were poles that were erected uh, in um, that time in Israel for the worship of the goddess of Asherah, who was the goddess of fertility. They were, um, they were used actually in, in sexual fertility, ceremonial worship, and God is saying, tear down this stuff that is competing for my name in your life. Tear down this stuff that is competing for my glory and my worship in your life. Don't give into it. Don't start down this slippery slope, Moses, of just going, well, a little bit of this is okay and a little bit of that is okay. And hey, everybody around us is doing this. That's probably fine and it's probably good. God is saying, no, you must not worship other gods for the Lord whose name is jealous. Okay, so this is the last description God is giving of his nature and character. is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Okay, that word jealous. Okay, what God is not saying, that's the Hebrew word kadah. He's not saying he's like that creepy boyfriend, right? Who's dysfunctionally insecure and jealous, who's like creeping you on Instagram or social media, or who's watching you from a distance and, uh, you know, worried and insecure about every conversation you have with another guy, or, you know, conversely, male to female, female to male, whatever it is. That's not what God's saying. He's not kind of stalking us out of insecurity. He's not responding to us in that way. In fact, um, what he's offering here and what that original Hebrew language is pointing to is that this jealousy is a sense of passionate, loving loyalty. So actually what God is saying is like, I'm a passionate, loving, and loyal husband who fights for his bride. That's what God is saying. That's what my disposition toward you is like. That's what my nature is like. I'm a passionate, loving, loyal husband who will fight for my bride. But it can also be read, Yahweh who is jealous for his name. He's jealous for his name. And this is what he's saying to Moses. Moses, I'm telling you who I am. But I'm calling you to a different kind of life, the kind of life where you carry my name with the reverence and the fear and all of the healthy stuff. You carry my name well. The interesting thing is if you read through the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 28, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. you know, that's the famous passage where God says to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I'll come and I'll heal their land. God actually says, look, 
you are my children, you are my family, I've adopted you into my family and I've given you my name now. You're called by my name, the same way that when Rochelle and I were married, she took my last name, for better or worse, she's now Rochelle Plett, not Rochelle Friesen. She took my last name and now she's identified as a Plett. She's identified as a part of our family and God is saying, look, I'm jealous for my name. My name, it means something. And I'm jealous to guard it and protect it. I'm jealous to watch over it. I'm jealous for how you live, Moses, how you're gonna carry my name, how the Israelites are gonna carry the name so we can either carry the name of God or we can profane the name of God. Even if we flip back into Exodus 19, it says this, verse three, then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. So this is before our Exodus 34 encounter. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob, announce it to the descendants of Israel. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the people on the earth, for all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. In Leviticus 19, this is what God is now saying, carrying my name looks like. Leviticus 19, the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel. You must be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Just pause for a second. We often would go, yeah, but that's God in the Old Testament. That's not what God is calling us to in the New Testament, but that's not true. In Matthew chapter 6, I believe it is, Jesus actually echoes this very thing, and he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be holy as I am holy, God is saying. I'm calling you to carry my name well. And it has to do with how you live with the direction you're going, with how you think about life, what you prioritize and what you value most. Verse three, each of you must show great respect for your mother and father, and you must always observe my Sabbath days of rest. I am the Lord your God. Do not put your trust in idols or make metal images of gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. When you sacrifice a peace offering to the Lord, offer it properly so you will be accepted by God. The sacrifice must be eaten on the same day you offer it or on the next day. Whatever is left over until the third day must be completely burned up. If any of the sacrifice is eaten on the third day, it will be contaminated and I will not accept it. Anyone who eats it on the third day will be punished for defiling what is holy to the Lord and will be cut off from the community. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners. 
the immigrants and illegal aliens. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord, your God. Do not steal, do not deceive or cheat one another. Do not bring shame on the name of your God by using it to swear falsely, I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not make your hired workers wait until the next day to receive their pay. Do not insult the deaf or cause the blind to stumble. You must fear your God, I am the Lord. Do not twist justice in legal matters by favoring the poor or being partial to the rich and powerful. Always judge people fairly. Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Do not stand idly by when your neighbor's life is threatened. I am the Lord. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. <laughs> Let's just stop there for a second. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God is laying out here what holiness looks like in life. You know, oftentimes we think holiness is this sort of piety spiritually. Holiness is, is measured by, by how, uh, you know, how faithful you are to your morning devotions, or holiness is measured by how well you pray, or how deeply spiritual you are, or, or what you know of Scripture. But God is saying, no, 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 holiness is actually related to how you live, and I'm calling you to carry my name the way that I would. I'm calling you to live as if it was me making the decisions and judgments in your life instead of you. Do you get that? God is saying, I want you to think the way that I would think based on what you know of my character now. I want you to see people the way that I would see them and treat them the way that I would treat them. I want you to act as if I were the one doing the acting. That's what God is saying holiness is. And we often define it by what we're not supposed to do, the sins we're not supposed to do what we abstain from, in our self-righteousness even. It's like what we are willing to abstain from. But God is also defining, and those are good and important. Those have their place. But God is also defining holiness by what we do that looks like him. So if you just did a survey of your life in this way, is what you do consistent with the nature and character of God that we've been unpacking for the last five weeks? Are you carrying the name of God well in what you do and what you choose and how you live and how you speak to those you love but also to your enemy and how you treat those around you, how you judge circumstances and situations what you harbor in your heart against your family or those closest to you. There's a, a scholar named Christopher Wright, and he says this, all through the chapter runs the refrain, I am the Lord, as if to say, your quality of life must reflect my character. That's what I require of you because this is what reflects me. This is what I myself would do. I want to read that again to you. 
He's speaking directly from Leviticus 19. All through the chapter runs the refrain, I am the Lord, as if to say your quality of life must reflect my character. Go back to Exodus 34. Is your being in everyday life more and more reflecting the nature of the Father that we've been learning about? Are you walking with great compassion, the kind of love that covers people and protects them, not exposes them and calls them out and ridicules them and, and demands justice and demands, you know, and, you know, like retribution for the things that they've done to hurt you? Are you walking with mercy and graciousness? Are you being slow to anger and patient? When you've had it up to here with situations and with people, are you remembering that almost certainly God has not, and he's called you to be slow to anger the way that he is? Are you overflowing with faithful love and faithfulness? Are you trustworthy to the bitter end? Are you going to be loyal and trustworthy and faithful to the people that God has entrusted into your life with you. Christopher Wright says, this is God literally saying, this is what I require of you because this is what reflects me. This is what carrying my name on the earth looks like because it is what I myself, what God himself would do. Jesus carried the name of the Father. We're gonna see that. As we move into Matthew 5, we're going to talk a little bit, maybe even about the beginning of Revelation, but as we talk about Matthew 5, as we reflect even back onto Ephesians chapters, really 2, 3, and 4, but especially chapter 4, we, we need to realize that Paul is calling us to, and, and Matthew is calling us to, and Jesus is calling us to carry the name of the Father, which means walking in the character of the Father, responding to life the way the Father would. In John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's obviously, he knows what's about to happen, that he's going to be going to the cross very soon and he's going to be leaving them and he's preparing them for that eventuality. And I'm just gonna find this here, John 14. He uh, is just sitting them down and, and talking with them and saying, look, like, uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've been following me. We've been walking together. And I want you to know what you've seen in me is the character of the Father. I've carried the name of the Father well. And then Jesus says, you know, you're going to do even greater things than me. And if you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. We, we've read these passages before, and often what we assume is that Jesus is giving us sort of a tactical, uh, grammatical add-on to our prayers, that if we say in the name of Jesus about anything, then it's going to invoke him to do it. And I, I just want to suggest to you in closing, as we're carrying the name in our life, what Jesus is not saying is just, you know, 
whatever is on your mind and your heart, whatever you want, just ask me for it. And if you say in the name of Jesus, then I'm going to do it for you. It's like, uh, in, in some ways, we kind of think of that like Aladdin's lamp. Like if we rub it the right way, then the genie comes out and, and boom, we get whatever we want. Or it's like the wand from Cinderella. Like, let me just, uh, you know, kind of flick this a certain way and I'll give you whatever we want. That's not what Jesus is saying, I don't believe. I think what Jesus is saying is if you ask me for anything in my name, according to my nature and character, according to what I've actually um, lived out to be true of the nature of God, if you ask me to do something that's consistent with my identity or is in line with my character, if you begin to pray that kind of stuff, you are going to see me work in power in your life. If you begin to pray the kinds of prayers where God is listening and he's going, that's exactly what I would have asked for in this situation. Let me partner with you. Let me come beside you. Let me come uh, behind you or ahead of you and move in power in this because you're asking me for something that I would want to ask for or do or accomplish on my own. But the thing is, so much of our prayer life, so much of our walk is so deeply selfish and narcissistic, we ask God for things that we want because of our own superficial reasons, why we want them in our life, what we demand that God do to make us happy or appease us or work things out in our life in a way that is consistent with the picture we have or the vision we have for our life moving forward. And if I do that and pray that and just slap his name in the name of Jesus on it, then everything is going to be fine. And Jesus is saying, no, when you pray in my name, it means to pray according to my nature, my identity, my character. It's actually to begin to pray in unison and in sync with me. Father, as you look out over this situation in my life right now, what would you say? How would you pray? What would you do? How would you want to respond or move in this? God, what would you do in this? How would you react and respond to that? And we go back to Exodus 34 and we run it through this grid. And then we begin to pray in sync with the nature and character and identity of Jesus. We pray for the kind of stuff that Jesus himself would be about. And Jesus is saying, if we begin to do that, then we will actually see the power of God at work in us. But if we only continue to carry our name and live for what we want and pray for, you know, our own narcissistic needs and our selfish needs and our own perspective and our own protection and our own blessing and our own whatever, whatever, whatever. If, if that's all we do, then tacking his name on the end is not going to accomplish anything. So the question for us as we even wrap this up is, are you carrying his name well in your life? Are you responding to conflict and people and circumstances and situations in a way that's consistent with what we've learned the nature and character of God is? Is what you're asking for in your prayer life, what you're desiring to happen in your life, the vision you're trying to pray into your life, is it consistent with the character of Jesus? 
is what you're praying in line with God's compassion toward those who you're praying about? Is what you're praying for in line with God's gracious work, his mercy toward others? Is what you're praying for in line with his patience or in line with his overflowing love and his trustworthiness? Or is what you're praying for what you want, when you want it, how you want it, and in in the way you want it? Let's be honest, mine is often like that. But God calls Moses, he says, look, here's what I'm like. Now that you know what I'm like, I'm calling you up into a different kind of life. I'm calling you to carry my name on the earth. I'm calling you to live and make decisions and discern things as though it were me through you. I'm calling you to pray according to my character. I'm calling you to pray things that I myself would pray for your friends and for your family, for your work, for your own life situations, for what's happening in government and around the world. Are we praying for things in a way that is consistent with the character and name and identity of God? Or are we kind of over here just trying to, you know, get what we need and what we want out of life, our vision for how life should go? I want to just challenge you to keep coming back to Exodus 34. I want to challenge you to just deeply, I want to challenge you to memorize this and deeply ingrain God's own self-revelation of his nature into your life. This is the most quoted few verses of Scripture by Scripture. It's important. And I want you to begin to ask God, teach me to pray in line with your character. Teach me to see confrontation or pressure or trial or or suffering or um, frustration. Teach me to see that through your character, through your nature, and teach me to pray the kinds of things that you would want to pray. And I, I guarantee you what Jesus is saying is, look, when you begin to pray that way, then you will see the power of God at work in your life because it's not all about you anymore. It's about him and living in the joy of his presence. Let's just pray together. We need Jesus to understand this in a greater way. And so I'm just asking, Father, in the name of Jesus, for a deeper revelation for us all about this even. I'm asking that you would teach us to think and to live and to speak and to react and respond and pray in ways that are consistent with your nature and your character, your identity. Father, I pray that you would move us into the kind of maturity in our life where we would instinctively think the way that you do and instinctively react, Father, to Uh, aggression and opposition and pressure and stress and trial, that we would react instinctively the way that you would driven out of your character. Teach us to carry your name well 
on the earth in these days and in so doing, see the power of God released in our lives because it's no longer just all about us, but it's about you and your name. In Jesus' name, amen.